Welcome to Why on Earth Should I Gamify My Classroom? This is a podcast for teachers of all grade levels and will be about the ins and outs of gamifying your classroom. Some parents and students may also want to listen in to what is going on in the world of education these days. I am Michelle Watron, a grade eight teacher at Claiborne Middle School. I am so lucky to live and teach in one of the most amazing places on earth, which is Abbotsford, British Columbia, Canada. And it's considered part of the traditional and unceded territory of the Stolo people, the Seth Math First Nation and Matsui First Nation. I'm grateful to enter this podcast with open hearts and open mind. Now, before we get to our very special guest today, I just wanted to remind our listeners that when we talk about the term gamification, it simply means integrating gameplay elements into your classroom, such as point scoring, competition, or collaboration with others, rules of play, leveling up, etc. all of that into your everyday classroom. Now, there are pre-made platforms out there to do this in classrooms, or teachers can make up their own scoring systems through spreadsheets, sometimes called trackers. Now, today, we are super lucky to have joining us one of the hardest working and innovative teachers around. He is the king of trackers. I was fortunate enough to have had him for two of my graduate classes at Vancouver Island University, and they were called Learning Systems for Online Teaching, as well as Emergent Environment and Technologies. He's always striving to integrate the latest technologies into his classes, but only if it adds to the actual learning going on in the class. He taught me the valuable lesson not to add technology for technology's sake, but just to make sure the technology always has a purpose for your students. And that's a very important lesson to learn. Now, in more than a quarter of a century as an educator, Avi Luxenberg has worked with students from grades 2 to 12 in subject areas as diverse as film production, humanities, media studies, mathematics, information technologies, psychology, which I think every teacher should have some of that in their back pocket, right? Photography and much more. Avi is an instructor at Vancouver Island University education program, both graduate and undergraduate. And I'm so grateful he took the time out of his busy schedule to spend time with us. Hello, Avi, and welcome to this episode of Why on Earth Would I Gamify My Classroom? Oh, thank you very much, Michelle. Thanks for having me. I, I'm, I'm really looking forward to this interview because as you requested that I do this, my brain has just gone all over the place with the kinds of things I've done in the past and what I'd like to do in the future. So this, this will be an interesting reflection for me. Oh, that's awesome. Well, thanks again for joining us. And why don't you just tell us a little bit more about yourself? Uh, what's on your plate these days? Every year I seem to, to rehash my programs, my courses, it, it seems that the student yesterday is never going to recognize the course tomorrow because it's always so different. For example, I'm now trying to add more narrative into my gamified learning environment for my undergraduate students. And if that works, I will then push that into my graduate program as well. That's, that's where my brain is these days. That's great. Can you give a little bit of a definition of what that means when you're talking about the narrative that goes along with gamification? I can try. It's, it's a little long-winded. How much time do we have? We have half we, an hour. We're uh, good. Okay, great. Narrative is such a huge part of our lives. So, I mean, we're drawn to story, aren't we? Yeah. Story, yeah, story seems to be a great way to communicate ideas, feelings, uh, themes. And for me, narrative is, it's, it's actually three things. 
in terms of education. It provides a context for learning a specific topic or a skill. Uh, and I think the best way for me to explain that is to explain a concept in math. So if you were teaching students the volume of a cylinder, Mm-hmm. So you would uh, instruct them on what the area of a circle is. So it's, mm-hmm. uh, what is it? A equals pi r squared, right? And then you would take the depth of the cylinder and you'd multiply it by that and then you'd get the volume. Well, that's all well and good. But what happens if instead of doing that, you provide a context for it? So perhaps we're building a gazebo. We're going to be uh, creating a concrete base for it. That's a circular base. And we know that it's going to be 10 meters across, quite large, and that it's going to be a depth of, say, 10 centimeters. Then the question becomes, how much concrete do we need? Mm-hmm. And providing that kind of a context makes the learning far more real to the students, mm-hmm. but it also means it's going to be memorable. They're never going to forget that. They're never, mm-hmm. never going to forget how to come up with the volume of a cylinder and why one would need that. So there's the context. And then early in my career, I I was playing around with narrative without even knowing about it. So when I provided a project for my students, I would introduce it as King Luxembourg the Cruel is sending you out on a quest for for whatever it was. Right. And um, and there'd always be this background. There'd be somebody's looking to, to take over the throne. And so there'd, mm-hmm. there'd be this story that's a background. And I found that, that the students their eyes would sparkle a bit and there'd be a different kind of engagement mm-hmm. that would occur. So there's that sort of contextual part of, of the narrative, which I find interesting. It's also to entertain. I mean, mm. that's the other part of, of it. You know, I, when I think about that, I think about Yesvi and Novi, yes. who are my alter egos and uh, in my courses. And uh, shall, I, shall I give a bit of a background on them? Or? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, oh, okay. Geneva and I spoke a little bit about them in, in, in podcast number two, episode two, but yes, oh, we'd great. love to hear more. Okay. Well, great. Well, maybe we can get your perspective on that as yes. well. Um, so yes, being Novi are actually were quadruplets, not triplets. So, right. uh, and oh, I forgot about number four. Number four. That's right. Uh, so there's Yesvi, who's a very positive person. There's Novi, who's very negative. And then there's me, I'm in the middle, Avi. And then uh, there is him, who is a completely separate entity and who mm-hmm. we are, we don't really talk about too much. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's funny because my original structure for Yesvi and Novi, because they're completely dichotomous personalities, the original idea came from staff meetings. Uh. We've all been to staff meetings where there's uh, a person who is really highly engaged, enthusiastic, will try anything. That's Yesvi. Yes. And then there's always the uh, the other side of things. There's the staff member who said, well, we tried that seven years ago. It didn't work back then. I can't <laughs> see it working now. And, so, you know, there's that. Yeah. There's and the, I think everyone listening, everyone listening can picture those two people or two groups of people in their mind right now. Yeah. And, and they argue. They, it's almost like having the angel on one side and the devil on the other side of your shoulder, except it's really not. Because the more I live with Yesvi and Novi in their narrative, the more I realize how important Novi is. I now have students create their own Yesvi and Novi because of the power mm-hmm. to, to help make decisions mm-hmm. and also to see how important Novi is. Uh, people who take the graduate courses, the OLTD course that you've been part of, they yes. tend to be people who are more enthusiastic and more uh, engaged. Um, mm-hmm. And quite frankly, they need a Novi. 
mm-hmm. to help to to balance things out. So there, there's yes be and there's no be, and I started to um, to integrate them into quests and really for entertainment purposes, but also to provide that that sort of dichotomy mm-hmm. um, between the the good and the and the bad. Although it ended up not being bad, but I mean, you experienced it. I think you did the digital privacy quest, yes. right? Yes. Okay. So digital privacy quest is heavy. It's heavy. It deals with freedom of information. It deals with privacy, some pretty heavy issues. But by having Yesvi and Novi have these conversations around various parts of things uh, within the quest, not only did it lighten the mood because they're pretty funny when you listen to them. Yes, they are. And yeah, they, yeah. So what was your take on that? I mean, what they did in that quest, do you remember that at all? I do. I do. And what I know is at first I was just entertained. They're very entertaining. Like you said, I loved the beginning of your class where you had this whole narrative where we were sitting around the campfire and you were introducing the characters and it just was a lovely way to introduce them to the class. And then you began your class where we all had quests we had to do. They were required, but then we got to choose some quests later and, you know, the ones that we wanted to, but yes, V and Novi were there in form of script. You would, we would read about what they would be thinking about each quest. And it just really helped me with my memory recall. You know, I would say, oh, I remember yes, V said this. It would help me remember the purpose of the quest or what I was supposed to do, or even what yes, V thought about it and what Novi thought about it. And just to add to that, it was very valuable when you asked us to have a yes, V and a Novi type character and explore that. Uh, I didn't understand at the time when I was, I started the project, how meaningful that would be just to have the reflection of my own personality. And like you said, Novi is very important, especially when it comes to teaching, because a lot of us can say yes to too many things and then get in over our heads. And so, like you said, it's very valuable to have a Novi on your shoulder, (laughs) keeping things real. (laughs) Yes. And a yes, we sometimes where we need it. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's always an interesting thing. Yes. Well, thanks for that. That was interesting to to hear your perspective on it, because you're right. That sort of entertainment value then ends up being a teaching value of the narrative. And that's Mm -hmm. what you what you asked me about was the narrative. And that's the power of the narrative. Sorry, I I guess I need to back up here just a second. There are a couple of different kinds of gamification. And if you think about gamification as sort of like, you know, on the one side of it, there's structural gamification, Mm -hmm. uh, like point systems, like badges. And on the other side, there is a more immersive experience, which is based on content. So let me give you an example. I was supervising two folks who were doing their masters on gamification. And what they did was they created a project together. And that project was called Franglais. And it was a completely immersive gamified learning environment to teach about, to teach French and also to teach about culture in terms of Quebec and in France around, around the French language. And it was so immersive because the storyline pulled you in. So it started with with this uh, event that occurred in the news about drones in Paris. And then the protagonist, the student, would go through these situations Mm -hmm. that would end up having them travel to Paris to be spies. And Mm -hmm. so it was a fascinating experience. And each quest 
sort of led you to answering questions. It was a problem-based approach. Mm -hmm. um, now we had about a dozen teachers try it out. And the most, and only for the first about 10 or 12 quests, the most common point that they made by the end of it was they wanted to know what was going to happen next. They're being completely pulled by the narrative. Mm. And so that is that sort of one slide of the one side of the sliding scale is that content-based immersive gamification that is so pulling on our need for story that we we just keep going with it. Mm -hmm. And then sort of my side of things, which is more st structural. The thing about structural gamification, sorry, there's so much information in my head right now about this that it's hard to pinpoint one area. But what I will say is that structural gamification point systems can be utilized in anything. Mm -hmm. So they don't require a story. They don't require content. You can use them for any subject area, any unit of study. You simply provide points for specific strategies, for specific skills. I'm trying to think of an example of that. So when I was first gamifying, I didn't realize I was gamifying. And what I was doing was when I was teaching elementary is I was looking at the work of Howard Gardner uh, with multiple intelligences. And I was trying to figure out a way to have students represent learning in a way mm -hmm. that more fit naturally for them. Mm -hmm. And um, I couldn't figure out how to do that and have a grade book. Mm. So what I did was I created a point structure. The students had to you know, complete a hundred points, but they got to choose mm -hmm. every, they got to choose how they represented their understanding of things. So for instance, uh, let's say we were doing colonialism. A student chose to write a script for five points. That was an interview with a child that was in a residential school. Mm -hmm. okay. So they got five points for that, depending on their depth of engagement. But then what if they chose to give voice to that and they chose to actually act it out for a radio interview? So they use the two different voices, then it would be more like 10 or 15 points. Yeah. Or if they chose to do the same thing in video where they actually played each role, the interviewer and the interviewee, and then spliced it together in editing, then we're talking about a broader scale, more time on task, uh, more need for pre-production, post-production work, then we're talking 25 points out of, so providing, and that's just one example, but it's yeah. providing them choice. So that's really easy to do, mm -hmm. to gamify using point systems. Mm -hmm. And you've experienced that with uh, OLTD 509, the graduate course that you were in with me. And so did you have a take on how that worked for you using points? I enjoyed the choice aspect, appreciated that we had like the core quest that we needed to go on just to have understanding of the content and of the learning outcomes we were going for. But I enjoyed choosing how I needed to gain my points. So there were, you had multiple quests to choose from. That choice really did make it more personalized learning and it, it held my interest very much. Okay, which is perfect. That's great. And I think that's what we need. I mean, if, if you are looking at gamification as a means to motivate students, there's mm -hmm. nothing better than providing students agency. You know, I mean, there are a few other things that really motivate us, according to Daniel Pink, who did the meta study of decades of research on motivation, you know, things like getting better at stuff, 
mm-hmm. that is important to us mm-hmm. and uh, doing something that is part of something bigger than you, feeling mm-hmm. part of something. But agency to me is the easy one for gamification and point structures. Now, I mentioned the Carla and Corinne's project on Franglais as the sort of more immersive mm-hmm. uh, approach and that mine is more structural and with Yesvi and Novi providing some entertainment, some context, that kind of thing. But I've realized that I, I want more narrative mm-hmm. in my courses. Mm-hmm. I want more of that drive. Mm-hmm. And yet I don't want to move away from a more structural approach because structural gamification can be utilized for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know what, I'll, I'll share with you what I'm thinking of doing right now. Actually, I've already begun the process Okay, because yeah, it's, it's kind of fun. I think it's kind of fun. I've been enjoying doing the writing for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so to me, it's fun. I really get into flow while I'm, while I'm writing the scripts for Yes, Be, No, Be, because I don't write them. They, they're, they speak now. <laughs> they're, they're so full now. They're full characters and they, they really do speak. But we now have in your course, we started with Novi trying to take over the course. Mm-hmm. No, or was that the case? Or was that a different course? I, I, it's all a blur now for me. I don't course? remember Novi trying to take over. Actually. Ah, okay. Yeah. So in the in the new course that you've not experienced, Novi tries to take over the course and Novi and Yesvi battle it out. And uh, finally, Novi agrees to have the students prove that they can figure out this complex gamified course and understand it. Otherwise, he takes over the course. And um, <laughs> and so the, it's done through an escape room. Where oh, wow. People, oh, yeah. It's It was so much fun to observe this. So mm-hmm. uh, the students are in... Uh, breakout rooms and zoom so it's all online so they're mm-hmm. in breakout rooms and zoom mm-hmm. and their job is to get get out of the escape room or as novi likes to call it the escape dungeon and um <laughs> so they that really sets a tone mm-hmm. and i didn't realize how good of a tone it set and it made me want to go further with this mm-hmm. so for this next uh, set of students uh, in the undergraduate and then if that works i'll move to graduate Novi is so upset at losing that he sneaks into the Dean of Education's office, David Patterson's office, and he takes his calendar and a pair of scissors and he cuts out winter break (laughs) so that we don't get a winter break. And now his, I know, horrible. And so his rationale is that the rate of dropout for students in our program does not reflect the attrition rates of teachers, which is more like 25 to 30%, according to the BCTF. In the States, it's more like 50%. So he felt that we need a a bigger attrition rate, more like 60 to 70% attrition. And so the way he thought that he would do that is to eliminate winter break so that we have to just work right through. Mm-hmm. So he eliminates winter break. Oh, it's, it's actually rather humorous because I actually got David Patterson, the dean, to videotape himself responding to this and <laughs> reading reading a note left by Novi. Um, so what Novi did was he took the pieces of winter break and cut them up into puzzle pieces. There are 24 of them, and he hid them digitally. Oh. And so now the task of the... So the dean is asking my students for help. We, you have to help us find winter break. What are we going to do without winter break? And so now the whole course becomes a quest mm-hmm. to find the pieces of winter break. 
That's as far as I've gotten. <laughs> we'll, we'll see how it goes. I do have the first conversation between Yesvi and Novi, where Yesvi is absolutely furious at Novi. I do have that written out, but that's as far as I've gotten. We'll see how things go. But the power of narrative is so draws people in that I have to try it and we'll see if it works. Mm -hmm. So just to back up a little bit for listeners who have not had this experience, a narrative can last through the entire course or term, correct? Like the, the same narrative can be going on for your entire, even class year. Is that correct? Yes. It basically becomes a challenge of sorts, Mm -hmm. right? It can relate to your critical challenge questions or your learning outcomes for the course. And that's what I would recommend that Mm -hmm. occurs is I had my students in grade nine humanities who I wanted to do a lot of reading and writing. Mm -hmm. And my core critical challenge question was how can I get them to communicate Mm -hmm. in effectively. Mm -hmm. And one of those areas was writing, but I wanted them. uh, I was really inspired by Frank Smith's reading without nonsense, really old book, but really an excellent book, Frank Smith reading without nonsense. And he basically premised to develop reading and writing. Students have to read and write a lot. Mm -hmm. So what I did was I created a a gamified situation that's just structural. It was point-based, you know, reading novels that the students chose here again, agency and writing uh, reviews on those novels Mm -hmm. uh, and then posting those to our class wiki would provide a certain number of points writing various types of writing, you know, whether it's poetry uh, or uh, journal writing or whichever can provide other kinds of points. And then the students would pick and choose what they would do, but it was based on what I wanted to occur in the whole year. So Mm -hmm. it was a whole year project. And I think the fun part of that was when I realized that this was almost a game to the students Mm -hmm. was when um, I would have students come to me and trade and negotiate. You know, wow. Mr. L, can, can I, it's like sort of like trading cards. Can I, like, I want to do more writing. I want to do more of this. Can I trade you some book review for this kind of writing? And I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> but it was that, that kind of thing. And that went through the whole year. Mm-hmm. But your question was actually about narrative, wasn't it? Not just on well, that, no, that, that That's good. And no. that can go on. Like, I'm just thinking of the listener who hasn't had this experience at mm-hmm. all. And they might hear this and think, oh my goodness, I have to write stories. This sounds like a lot of front end loading and a lot of time. Yes. What would you say to that? Yes, it's true. Gamification is front end load front end loading it doesn't have to be huge if you mm-hmm. stick with something as simple as point systems that that mm-hmm. makes it a lot easier and you're gamifying completely you're providing agency you're you're doing a lot of the things that will help your students engage more and be more uh, active participants mm-hmm. but it is true that as you develop more quest based gamification more narrative within that it's far more front-end driven so that you are uh, doing quite a lot of work. Now, I have to tell you, it's glorious work. It's so much fun. So I sit there and I'm writing, Yes, and Novi talking to each other, and I'm giggling, I'm laughing uh, because (laughs) I have to step away because they're funny. It's no longer me writing, they're writing it. And so you do get into a state of flow when you do this, it becomes a more enjoyable Mm. process. But that front-end loading also does something else. It means that you're doing less planning mm-hmm. during the coursework and right. are able to engage more with the students. So your experience with my course, the 509 course, I'm sure you noticed that 
when you handed something in, did you have to wait a long time to get it back? No, I didn't. You were the quickest turnaround in feedback of my experience at uh, Vancouver Island. And I, I always knew when I turned something in, I would hear within 24 hours for sure, if not sooner. And it usually was sooner. Yeah. And I really, really appreciated that. It, it fits with what we know about feedback. The mm -hmm. faster one gets feedback, the, the better one accepts the feedback and it's that it becomes useful feedback. The other part of that is that I'm, I'm far more able to spend more time providing the feedback mm -hmm. so that it's more. So in the digital privacy quest, you probably got a lot of feedback. I'm just mm -hmm. using the one that we spoke about earlier. Mm -hmm. I provide a lot of feedback and it becomes more a conversation. So I'd have students responding mm -hmm. to the feedback and then I'd respond back and it becomes a conversation. It's so often once a student receives feedback, it's the end. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, then you move on. And then you move on. And uh, sometimes you don't even read the feedback if, it, if it's not something, first of all, if it, if it comes a week later and you don't even remember anymore what you yeah. did, yeah. Uh, or, or if it's not directed at you. Mm -hmm. So it provides me more time during the course mm -hmm. to provide more personalized feedback, to engage in conversations, and to do it far more quickly. Mm -hmm. So there's a bit of a give and take there mm -hmm. in terms of you know, front-end loading and not front-end loading. Um, mm -hmm. So for, for teachers of, say, middle school like me, this type of gamification would mean I would need to have my course kind of figured out on day one. These are my quests that we're going to do for at least for term one. And these are your choices. Here's how you can get points. Uh, I, I don't want people to get the idea that you'd never meet as a class and discuss things. You definitely still do that. But it does give, like you're saying, more student-centered time in your classroom rather than teacher talk. Do you agree with that or what do you think? I would. That? I would agree with that. Mm -hmm. As a matter of fact, uh, you probably remember from our course together, there was almost no teacher talk. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the time together in, in our class and our Zoom classes was spent in breakout rooms, discussing things or working on a document together, or it was a lot of that kind of work rather than me trying to teach something. I used to have an islands project for my grade eight humanity students. It was, a, again, it was this thing about, you know, the grand master Luxembourg, the Buddha is sending you on a quest. And this quest was to find an island to form a new nation. And so the students in groups would create these atlases. And the mm -hmm. atlases would have things like 10 types of maps. And then they'd have to build a government. They'd have to create a, a culture. They'd have to create art. It, it was huge. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the amazing thing about it was that I didn't teach anything. I mm. scaffolded. And, and let me give you an example of that. So one of the things they needed was a charter of rights and freedoms. Mm -hmm. So what would happen is I would just have a list. You're going to need something like a charter of rights and freedoms. Mm -hmm. I'd have a student come to me and say, Mr. Luxembourg, what's, what's a charter of rights and freedoms? And then I go, well, here's Canada's. Yeah. Let me know if you still don't understand aspects of it when, when you've read it. And then they'd come back to me with real questions. I am not forcing anything other than I created the scaffold, the, mm -hmm. the process Right. The student is engaging with me in a conversation about what's a charter of rights. 
And I am letting them know about the Canadian Charter of Rights at the same time as they are beginning to understand Charter of Rights. And then the next person comes to me and said, Mr. L, who's the Charter of Rights? And then I go, well, go talk to Frank. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what you, what you said about me not lecturing, me not teaching, this is probably the most I've talked right here. In a, in a situation like this, uh, right, right. you know, I, I try to not, which has been tough for me because I like storytelling and I like, mm -hmm. but it's not about my stories. It's about the learning. And I'm very, very constructivist in my approach, experiential. Uh, I need students to experience. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So just, I think this will probably be our last question. And this is a toughie. Okay. <laughs> if you are a teacher in a brick and mortar school and you maybe don't have access to computers every day, can you still gamify? Uh, yes. So you had mentioned a tracker earlier, mm -hmm. my digital tracker, which is a mess, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's become more and more complex over time. It's become more automated. So some mm -hmm. things are automatically approved and some things require my approval can easily be a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. providing choice is a simple thing to do having the students track what they're doing on a piece of paper mm -hmm. that maybe they keep in their portfolio is a simple approach this is what i did with the reading and writing that i mentioned earlier they actually track things on paper even though we had access to computers so it can be as simple as you want it to be and mm -hmm. again a piece of paper. I, I actually used to use something called five A's in my brick and mortar classes. The students would self-assess at the end of the, of the class, okay. how absorbed they were, how they attend to, to their work. Did they, they'd self-assess. I would take 10 of them at the end of the day and I'd, I'd evaluate them, but the students would actually track. I think that's, that might be missing quite a bit in many classes is mm -hmm. providing the student the ability to track their work and to reflect. People are using things like Scalantis and, and other like e-portfolio tools mm -hmm. that provide uh, access to reflection, mm -hmm. things like that. Mm -hmm. So just to let you know, that's all I ever had, really. I did have more access to computers near the end of my career in K-12, but I was a brick and mortars teacher. Mm. So uh, and even screencasting, I've been mm -hmm. screencasting for... 25 years now, Wow. 20 years, 20 years approximately. Okay. And it was a terrific way to personalize learning because the students would go at their own pace. They would watch my screencast. They would then do their work. And one person would be two screencasts ahead of the other. Mm -hmm. And so screencasting is a wonderful way to personalize pace at least. So brick and mortar online, I honestly don't think it matters one way or the other. Uh, gamification is just an easy way to get students more engaged, provide them more agency, motivate them a bit more, even if it's just a point system. Well, that's amazing. Well, I can't thank you enough. We have run out of time, but um, this has been so valuable. I hope for many of my listeners, uh, this has been a great insight on how to do gamification using many different tools, including narration, which is, is fantastic. I do just want to uh, mention that when I gamified my class last year, I used a platform called Classcraft, and they have yes. pre-made quests already narrated that are quite engaging, that you can just pop in your content under their pre-made narration. So if there's a teacher out there thinking, wow, that sounds amazing. I don't think I could do that. I don't think I could write those stories. There are some different strategies to go about that as well, that keep your students very engaged in the storyline that's going on in the different platforms. So I know we're at the end of this interview, but 
Can I just ask you a little bit more about Classcraft? Absolutely. I used to use 3D Game Lab for my quests, which was which worked really, really well, but I ended up moving to a tracker, to a, like a spreadsheet. I guess my question is, Classcraft seemed to be more a behavior sort of modification or a way of gamifying behavior in the classroom. Is that accurate? Or you just mentioned content though. There are two ways to use Classcraft. One is definitely behavior and some teachers only use it for behavior in the classroom and they don't use any of the quest Mm -hmm. side of the platform. And that's a free part of the platform. But if you purchase their premium edition, uh, well, even you can use the quests, not purchasing the $160 a year premium edition, but they're limited to six steps. Every quest would only have six steps. My quests sometimes tend to be a bit longer. So I did use the premium edition last year and then I can do both. I can use point systems for behaviors that I like in class. Like for this last year, I would do a mask check and I would say mask check. And then at that moment, whoever had their mask on properly got 50 XP points. Awesome. So that was tied into their XP points. And then their quests were also tied into their XP points. So it wasn't at the end of the term, you got the mark that you have in XP points. That wasn't tied to the mark at all. It was just an exciting way to work through different units of study as well as the behavior side. And so the the quest base, how robust was that in Classcraft? You had to build the quest, right? But they have avatar. I love the avatars. The kids love, yes. love yes. the avatars because yes. as soon as they leveled up, they got new armor or yeah. new pets were a big thing. And so they always just wanted to level up, level up. So they, if they turned in their homework on time in a quest, they got points. If they turned it in early, they got more points. So um, that helped me in my classroom management because a lot of kids were turning things in late. So this was a way I could not take away points for turning things in late, but I could give points to you on Classcraft that would encourage you to turn your work in on time to get that whole feedback perspective that you were talking about earlier. Because when, you know, when kids turn things in late, the feedback gets kind of lost along the way. As you know, it's hard to keep up with kids turning things in late and things like that. So, so that was a really big boost to my classroom. And then the getting back to the narrative All of the quest narratives that are pre-made revolve around these avatars and the three different people group working together and on this big storyline that goes on for the whole year, if you'd like. So awesome. So I'm intrigued. Now I want to, because I had looked into Classcraft a while back and uh, now now I need to look into it again. I really enjoy it. Yeah, the Mm -hmm. kids, like I said, love their avatars. It was really, I'll just say one funny thing that you can, you know, do certain things to make your avatar look look a certain way. You can choose what he has in his hand or what she has in her hand, what they have on. One, one student made his avatar look just like Jesus holding a Bible. <laughs> so great. the kids, I would, you do have to give time to the avatars because the kids right. are into it. So you kind of flash through the whole class's avatars to see what, where, what level they're at and what people are wearing and things like that. And they're like, go to Jesus, go, go, go look at Jesus. <laughs> so it was really, really funny. And it got them, you know, motivated to get more XP so they could, could custom make their avatar a little bit more. Oh, that's neat. I wonder how that would work with adults. I'm, I might have to try it with one of my courses. Yeah. Yeah. Give, I like it. Uh, for middle school, I find it's a really, really engaging form for them. So Wonderful.
Yeah. Well, thanks again, Alvi. This was just fantastic. I really appreciate all the time I have. Anytime I can talk with you, it's just a pleasure. So thanks again. And um, yeah, until next time. Thank you very much, Michelle. Thanks for having me. And I enjoyed this conversation very much, especially because I got to talk. Yeah, <laughs> that was great. <laughs> all right. Thanks again. Well, that wraps it up for today and for our podcast on why on earth would I gamify my classroom? Thanks so much for joining us. I'm Michelle Watron and be sure to do the best thing you can as a teacher and that is take care of yourself. Bye for now.